Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Christmas, and welcome to Bergen Park Church. Now, we're glad to have you here in person. We're glad to also have you join us online. If you'd like to tonight from 6 to 7, if you're brave enough to come out, I hear the winds are supposed to die down. The weather, weather says 5 o'clock, they're going to die down. So I'm going to believe that. Okay, we're going to believe. The winds are going to die down at seven o'clock, 5 o'clock. But from 6 to 7 tonight, we're going to do a kind of a Christmas Eve on the 20th gathering. That We're also going to do it on the 24th. So if you'd like to gather with us tonight, please dress warmly. We will put out some heaters out there, but I imagine it cannot overcome you know, the, uh, the beauty of a winter in Evergreen. Uh, but please join us. We'll be singing hymns, uh, kind of gathering with candles around the parking lot. And we'd love to have you guys uh, join us for the celebration. Or if you can't do it tonight, please uh, come join us on the 24th. We'd love to have you. You know, it's hard for me at least to believe that this is the uh, last Sunday before Christmas. This has been a unique year. I think to say the least, this has been uh, unlike anything I could have imagined. You know, 2020 is supposed to be vision, right? It's supposed to see, see things clearly. And at the end of this year, I'm kind of like, God, what am, I, what am I supposed to see clearly? I certainly see my own weaknesses. I think in this season, I see my inability to control life, my desire to want to get into things and, and try to manipulate and hold on to things, but just knowing that, you know, God has got to be greater than us because we cannot control all the events that have happened this year, uh, the challenges, the opportunities, it's definitely been unique. And for me as a pastor, I, I would say this has been the most difficult year personally in ministry. And not for just one reason or another. I think in some ways just my own weaknesses and dealing with things changing constantly and different attitudes towards masks or towards this coronavirus, the election, all the upheaval in our country and in the world, it has been an incredibly challenging time. And, and I'll also admit for me, as a pastor, it's been hard for me to kind of get myself into that Christmas mentality. Now, the passage we're going to look at today, I'll, I'll tell you, it's really helped. Jumping into this classic text in Matthew chapter 1 and really looking at this idea of Emmanuel. What does it mean that God is with us? And what does that message really bring for us in a, in a year like this? in a day like this. And, and I'll tell you, I think it brings a lot. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 and kind of jump into this very familiar story of the birth of Jesus and how that birth came about. So Matthew chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 18. The word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called him, he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, as we gather in this space awaiting Christmas Day, what that means to us, and maybe what it doesn't mean to us in this season, I'd ask, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, of the power of the Spirit, would we recognize that you are with us. The miracle of the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us, God in human flesh dwelt among us, experiencing life as we've experienced it. And yet, through his life, bringing us into a relationship with the Father through faith in what Christ has done. Father, as we meet this morning, I pray through the Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us where we are. Guide my words, and may this be, may this be the realization this morning, you are truly with us, and Lord, help us to understand how that applies to how we engage in the world. We love you, Father. Thank you for this beautiful morning we gather on in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this week I was looking at this Gallup poll, and it, it, Gallup had done this, this poll over the last 10 years, and they were looking at uh, the mental health of individuals in our country. And so for the last 10 years, they've asked this question, what's your mental health? And they've gotten all these answers, and they were comparing this year's results, which were taken in November of 2020, with last year's results, which was taken in November of 2019. And so think about that. In terms of people's mental health, how much do you think it's changed from November of 19? You remember where you were in November of 19? Things were good, anticipating life and joy and all that kind of stuff to November of 2020. And they have different statistics, you know, men, male, female, different age groups. But across the board, when it comes to people's mental health, the numbers had dropped by 10% from November of 19 to November of 2020. And if that's true of our nation as a whole, I imagine it's also true for some of us, that this year has been challenging, it's been difficult. What is the message of Christmas, the story of Christmas? How does it apply to what we've gone through over this last year? You know, one of the most common statements that God makes, whether it's God himself or an angel or a prophet or Jesus, in the Bible is do not be afraid. Because every time God shows up, we're afraid. We see the majesty of God and we tremble before him. And God says, do not be afraid. And Often the answer as to why, why should we not be afraid, the answer is because I am with you. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm not here to crush you. I'm not here to harm you. I'm simply here to be with you. You know, as human beings, that is the base emotional and relational need that we have, is simply for someone to be with us. You know, as children, from the time you're born, the most important thing uh, for a newborn is simply to have their father or their mother to be with them. A child that does not have a parent with them doesn't develop in a normal way. And then throughout life, we simply want our parents to be with us. We want them to be attuned to us. When we're hurting, they want, we want them to draw close. When we're happy, we want them to celebrate. 
As human beings, there's something innate in us, in our relationships, that we want others to respond to us, to be close to us, to experience life as we experience, simply just to be known. And if you haven't experienced that in life, if you haven't had that from your parents or from people that love you, you know the pain of feeling alone, of wondering, does anybody understand me? Does anybody get me? And yet the story of Christmas is we do not need to be afraid because God has drawn near. And he understands our emotions. He understands our sadness. He understands our fears. He knows us, and he still wants to be with us. That is the miracle of the story of Christmas. And so today, what we're going to do is we look at this story in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to jump back to its original context in Isaiah chapter 7, because this prophecy came out that this virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so we're going to discover what did that, what did that prophecy mean in Isaiah's day? Because see, Isaiah lived some 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to discover what did Emmanuel mean back then? What did it mean for Matthew? And then if we could, what does it mean for us today in this season, this Sunday before Christmas? So let's jump into it. And first of all, discover what did it mean for Isaiah? See, again, Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And when Isaiah lived, uh, Israel was actually divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was actually called Israel, and I think we have a picture of that. And Israel was comprised of nine kingdoms that had come together. See, they had walked away from David and the lineage of David they had broken off, and these nine kingdoms were gathered to the north, and they were known as Israel. Now, it's sometimes challenging in the Bible because nations and people often have numerous names, and so Israel is also known as Samaria sometimes, or Ephraim, and we'll see that in Isaiah chapter 7. So when you see the name Ephraim, that means these guys, Israel to the north. And see, for the last 200 years, Israel and Judah to the south, and Judah was comprised of three tribes. So if you remember all the way back to Abraham and all the way back to Israel, Israel was 12 tribes. But then they broke up in these two divisions, nine tribes to the north, which was Israel, three tribes to the south, which was Judah. And even though these two guys shared the same religion, the same ethnicity, the same background, and sometimes they were allies, often like brothers, they fought. And in the story of Isaiah, Israel to the north had actually kind of gained a partnership with these guys. You see them over to the to the north, they're the Syrians. And see, the Syrians and Israel had joined, gotten this relationship together because there was a worse kingdom, a greater kingdom, the Assyrians, that were to the, further to the north that were much larger than Israel, much larger than the Syrians. They were ruling over Judah. They were ruling over Israel. They were ruling over the Syrians. And finally, Israel said, listen, guys, I've had enough of this. This bully has got to go down. They're taxing us. They're ruining life. And so Israel to the north and Syria say, hey, listen, here's a great idea. Let's attack the Assyrians. I know they're a nuclear power. I know they're a lot greater than us, but we're tired of getting beat up. Let's go attack these guys. And let's go ask Judah, who at the time in Judah, King Ahaz was leading the kingdom. And so let's go ask Ahaz. Ahaz, do you want to join Israel and Syria and go attack this huge, massive nation with an army much bigger than ours? Well, Ahaz says, no. Absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to join you, Israel, and Syria to attack this mighty nation. And so that didn't make Israel very happy. Syria wasn't feeling very good about that. So they said, okay, Ahaz, 
you're king over Judah. We're going to take you out first. We're coming against you. And so because of that, King Ahaz was afraid. And so he goes, hey, listen, you're going to attack the Assyrians. You guys following all these names? You're attacking the Assyrians. I'm going to go make a partnership with them. I'm going to rely on this bigger guy to beat up the little guys to protect us. That's the story that Isaiah chapter 7 is in, that Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz. And so let's jump a little bit back into this story. If you want to turn there in Isaiah 7 or it will be up on the wall, let's discover a little bit about what was happening. So here's the story, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, and we read this. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, and Ephraim again is Israel. So Syria and Ephraim are together. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Because they're thinking, okay, Israel and Syria, they're coming against us. We're in trouble. And yet God in his grace in verse 4 says this to Ahaz through Isaiah. Hey, Ahaz, listen, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these, and he's referring to Israel and Syria, these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. These two nations that are coming against you, don't be afraid. Don't worry why? Because I am with you. In many ways, I think that's what God has been saying to the church, whether it's through the election, through this pandemic. Hey, listen, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't put your heart in political alliances. Because see, that's what Ahaz was in danger of doing. He's looking at what he's facing. And he's saying, okay, the only way I'm going to beat up the little guy is to get a bigger guy. I've got to align myself with the Assyrians. And God is saying, Ahaz, Simply trust in me. Now, the problem is Ahaz didn't have a robust faith in God. He had a greater faith in his political alliances and in the power of the world than he did in God. And so when Isaiah comes to him in verse 11, through God speaking to Isaiah, God says, ask, ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as the heavens, meaning Ahaz, God wants you to ask for a sign to prove that God will be faithful to you. And I want it to be massive. I want it to be great. I want it to be as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But here's how Ahaz responds, because he, he didn't have the faith in God to trust him. Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, that sounds almost moral or righteous, but it's not. It's actually quite arrogant. He's saying, I'm not going to do what God has asked me to do. Now, Isaiah, he gets enraged. He's angry, and so he responds. Isaiah responds in verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Why won't you trust? Look at the world around you. Look at the mess. You're going to continue to trust in political alliances. You're going to continue to trust in nations. Ahaz, what will it take for you to trust in me? And so though Ahaz would not ask for a sign, God said, listen, you're getting a sign anyways. Why? Because he's with his people. He loves them. And so we see this in verse uh, 13 and 14. Verse 14, therefore, okay, you're not going to ask for a sign, Ahaz. Here it is. The Lord himself is going to give you a sign. And here is the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That is, Ahaz is facing these advancing armies. God is saying, this child's going to be born. 
and this child will remind you that God is with you. Now he goes on to explain what that, that's going to look like in verses 15 and 16. And here this child, he shall eat curds and honey. And when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, before the, Lord, uh, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now that's kind of veiled. But I think he's saying is when the child's old enough to understand the difference between good and evil. Now, in a Jewish mentality, Hebrew world, that meant the age of 13. That's when you became a man. And so in Isaiah's day, he's saying, listen, this child's going to be born. Now, we don't know exactly who this child is in Isaiah chapter 7. See, prophecy has two realities. It has a near reality and a far reality. The near reality is what's happening to Ahaz. And God's saying to Ahaz, a child's going to be born. And so Ahaz likely knew who this child was. It could have been his own child. It could have been Isaiah's child. We're not exactly sure. This child will be born. And when the child is born, it'll remind you that God's with you. You don't have to trust in political alliances. God is going to protect you. And when the child's old enough to know good and evil, here's what's going to happen. Israel to the north, Syria, they're going to be gone. Don't worry about them. Trust in me. Put your hope in me. And I will protect you. But see, what happened is Ahaz, he didn't have the faith. Instead, he put his alliance in the Assyrians. The Assyrians didn't prove to be who they said they are. So later on, what happened is the Assyrians wind up not just wiping out Israel and Syria. They later, they come and attack Judah as well. And they also take them off into captivity. And so what Isaiah said to Ahaz actually came true in his day. That 12 years later, after this Emmanuel was born, we're not exactly, again, sure who he was, the Assyrians tacked Israel and wiped them out in the year 722 B.C. And then two years later, they also wiped out the Assyrians, saying to Ahaz, listen, God was with you the entire time, and though you didn't trust me, God is true to his promises, whether you're going to rely on, on him or not. See, that's what this story meant to Israel. It's what it meant to uh, Isaiah in his day. This child would remind you that God is with you. You can trust him. Ahaz wouldn't listen. Instead, he trusted in himself, and he trusted in the powers of the world. Now, what Matthew's doing is Matthew knows this story, right? He knows the Old Testament. As he's thinking about the birth of Jesus, this very obscure verse comes to mind. Now, it's not obscure to us. We know the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, who'll call him Jesus. We think everybody knows that verse. Well, in the Old Testament, this really wasn't a verse that stood out. It was somewhat obscure. And Matthew, as he's reading and writing the story of Jesus through the power of the Spirit, this verse comes to mind. And it really does, in some ways, apply to what people were experiencing in Matthew's day. Because like back in Ahaz's day and Isaiah's day, the nation of Israel, Judah, they were under attack. They were oppressed. And likewise for Matthew, they were oppressed. The Romans were oppressing them. And many of them thought, hey, we need to trust in the superpowers of the world. We need to trust in military might. And God is reminding his people in Matthew's day, no, listen, I know it looks bad. I know there's a pandemic. I know there's unrest. But understand, I haven't abandoned you. And though things look difficult, I still have a plan. And that plan is to prosper you. But you have to trust me. And so Matthew is thinking back on this story in Isaiah. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he's reflecting on Jesus' birth. And this is what Matthew says. He says, all this took place 
to, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in this story in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew doesn't focus a lot on Mary. He actually spends more time on Joseph. And the reason he does that is to show us the identity of this child. That this child, he says twice, was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That the identity of this child would be divine. And just as God had done this miracle in the Old Testament, God is doing something new today through this child. And it will remind us that God hasn't abandoned us, but rather that God is with us. That Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus is God who has come to dwell among us. And to dwell among a people who are afraid. Because they recognize they can't control the future. The powers around them are too great. The forces that they face, they can't simply, they can't simply control. Instead, they need a God who is greater. A God in whom they can trust. A God that is attuned to their fears, attuned to their worries, attuned to the life that is with them. And Matthew is saying this miraculous this miraculous idea that God himself has taken on human flesh and dwelt among us. You see, what that means is that God understands. It means that God understands the difficulty of life. He understands our fears. He understands our sorrows. He understands what it means to be left alone. He understands what it means to be abandoned, to invest into someone, to love someone, to sacrifice for someone, only to have that person betray you, abandon you, reject you. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to see the world around him and see chaos instead of order. He knows what it's like to, to love his neighbors and for his neighbors not to love him back. Jesus understood as a human being, God understood what it's like to experience life as we do. You see, the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus is not that God imagined what it would like to be human or that God pretended to be human, the miracle is that God took on flesh. Aaron read that passage in Philippians chapter two, and it said that Jesus emptied himself and he took on human flesh. That Jesus, in a sense, set aside not his divinity, but the power, the effect of that divinity, and he experienced what it is like simply to be, on, to be a man, to experience life from our perspective and to go through life with the experiences that you and I experience every single day. God understands what it's like to be a human being, which means that God can uniquely draw close to us when he sees those same expressions of fear, anxiety, joy, happiness on our face. God understands and he draws near. You see, the scandal of Christmas is the scandal of the Christian faith. There's no religion in the world that could possibly Imagine God becoming a human being. You know, the last people on earth to believe this are the people in this book who believe it, the Jews. To imagine that God could become flesh, that was absolute blasphemy. It didn't make sense to them. And so something in the story of Jesus caused them to change their minds. They, they start to see Jesus and God in a new light. That God truly was among us. And yet as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus was tested, and yet Jesus was without sin. That when we come to the Father with our fears, our joys, our anxieties, our hopes, our dreams, 
we come to one who understands. One who's attuned to where we are. Have you been in that experience? Have you had that experience over the last few months from the time this pandemic began to today where you just wish somebody would understand? Someone would sympathize with where I am. Maybe it's a family member, a spouse. You're just like, why can't you just get what's happening? Why can't you understand the struggle? Sometimes we want our national leaders to say, guys, listen, why can't you just understand where we are? I know where you are, but why can't you sympathize with us? Why can't you meet us where we are? You know, in the human experience, we simply want someone to come alongside us. There's no greater gift than the gift of presence. And not just the gift of presence, you know, sometimes I'm with my wife and I'm not really present. You know, it's the gift of listening and being attuned. It's kind of the gift that your, your child wants from you when, you when you see the pain on their face and, and they simply want you to acknowledge it. Hey, you look sad. You look upset. You, is something changed? Is something going on? Are you doing okay? That basic human need what the story of Christmas says is that's what God does. That's who he is. That longing for intimacy, that fear of isolation. Our God is a God who is so attuned to us. He was willing to take on flesh to dwell among us to say, Jason, listen, I, I, I know you're afraid. I know you're overwhelmed, but I'm with you. And if you would just acknowledge that and you would acknowledge who I am, you'd start to see the world a little bit differently. You know, in 1995, Joan Osborne wrote that song, One of Us. You remember that? It's kind of my college days. What if God was one of us? Just a stranger, you know it, on the bus, trying to make his way home. Just a slob like one of us. Now, I know that's not a, written for as a, Christ, a Christian song, but it is in a sense like a Christmas carol. And it's asking that question that I think so many of, it, of us have asked, what if God was one of us? And, and often today when people ask me as a pastor, you know, I know you say Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but why didn't he just show up today? You know, why can't he just make an appearance once a generation and just remind us, maybe split, split the sea, walk on water, do something just to show us that he's here? Because on the one hand, I think internally we want to believe, and yet there's always that question, is, he, is this true? And when I respond to that question, the first place I turn to is the first place that Scripture turns to, which is the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, listen, the heavens pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. That in creation, we see something of the majesty in the presence of God. Now, I don't know a lot about the universe, the galaxy. I don't even know which words describe what. But I have heard, and I read this week, that the galaxy, universe, whatever, it's 93 billion light years across. That's just one prediction, one suggestion, right? I guess scientists disagree. But a light year is the distance that light travels in a year. So you can imagine, what is the distance of, that God has created? 93 billion miles across. And yet this creator God that created all these things wants to know us. And how amazed are we at the at space and outer space? You know, every time there's a, an eclipse, you know, I always enjoy the news and watch these people that travel like 1,000 miles or 200 miles. I know some of you guys have probably done that too. I know some people here that have done that. They travel because they don't want to just see the eclipse, right, from a distance. You, you want to get right under it, I guess, or something like that. Is that how it works? You got to have the right angle. I don't know. 
to see this thing. And I remember the last time, I think it was two or three years ago, um, there was this almost perfect eclipse. I don't know what it was. You had to be in the right spot, right? Missouri, someplace. That's, that was the best place. <laughs> Anyways, I was in Dallas at the time, and I was actually in the airport, and I think it was, we were in the process of transitioning here or something that was going on, I can't remember, but I know I was in the airport, and, and the, the moon was going to block the sun, right, like 95%, and so I didn't have any of those special, like, you know, those, those glasses, and so I thought, oh, I'll just take a look once it's blocked, you know, once... <laughs> Once the moon's over the sun, it's probably safe, right? I'm sure by that point it's safe. And so I tried to look, and I couldn't even look at the sun blocked at 95%. You know, I couldn't even tell what was there. And the people around me, thankfully, said, you shouldn't do that. Here's some glasses. Here, I'll let you look. That's, didn't your mom tell you not to look at the sun? And it's like, yeah, but you know. Anyways, that, that's the story. And, and the point of that is even the sun, which is a small star in terms of stars and how many billions and trillions of stars there are burning balls of flame in the galaxy and the universe, even the sun blocked 95%. I couldn't even bear to gaze upon the 5% of its glory. And yet God in his fullness and his majesty, you know, when Moses says, God, show me your glory, what's he saying? He said, I want to look into the fullness of the sun. And God says, Moses, you cannot bear to handle the fullness of my glory. And see, that's the question. I think that's what all of us wrestle with. I want to look at God. I want to see God. I want to imagine what God is like. And Matthew has the audacity to say that's who Jesus is. He is the fullness of God's glory. He is God in human flesh. And the mystery of that, it can, it can boggle the mind. But Matthew is saying God is with us in the person of Jesus. And that's a mystery in itself. But then you, you discover who Jesus is. Because in Jesus, we see God, and God is nothing like what people expected. To the extent that when God showed up, he was crucified. Because see, the God that Jesus reveals didn't love the people, the religious people thought should be loved. He was friends to the outcast, you know, to the leper, to the person who had never been touched. Jesus was willing to touch. To the woman who had this condition for 12 years of hurting, being cast out of community, she touches him. And Jesus says, who was that? I want to know you. I want you to identify yourself. I want you to know that when you turn to me in fear, you see that in my eyes, I understand. I know why you touched me. I know why you wanted to be near me. Jesus was with the broken. He was with the prostitute who's pouring out this gift upon his feet. And instead of contempt, he has compassion, he has empathy while the rest around him cr complain against her and, and in some ways want, want to get rid of her, Jesus spends time with her. He draws near. He understands her condition. He sees her for who she is. And in, in, in gazing upon him, I wonder if she saw the glory of the sun, the majesty of the universe. She saw in Jesus the brilliance of God in human flesh. See, God is saying in the story of Jesus, God has, has come among us. And scripture echoes this truth. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews says he is the beginning. He is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said, if you want to see me, you've, you've seen the Father because, see, I and the Father are one. And whoever, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
And so, yes, we see God's evidence in creation, but we see God personally through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And again, this God that we see is as scandalous as the story of the incarnation. You see, this God came to us, and in coming to us, he came, as Jesus said, to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to say to that which is lost, get yourself found and I may seek you. But no, I'm going to chase after those who are broken, those who are far, those who are lost, those who feel like nobody could understand me, no one could accept me, and yet I'm going to draw near and seek out those who could never believe that God could be with them. And that's why we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemaker. These were the ones that thought God had rejected them, and Jesus is saying, no, God is near to you. And as the story of the Gospel of Matthew ends, it not only begins with the message, God is with us, but he says, lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The story of Christmas is not that God came and was with us. No, he's still here. But the question is, do we have the faith of an Ahaz? Or do we have the faith of a Mary and a Joseph? The faith of an Ahaz who simply wants to hold on to power, who wants to line himself with the powers of the world or hold on to control? Or do we have the faith of a Mary or a Joseph that's willing to say, God, I need you to be with me. I am afraid. I, am, I do feel like the world is out of control. And before I grab to a political party, before I grab a solution, I want to invite you into my life to be with me. You know, over this last week, that's really been the prayer that I've been wrestling through. God, what, if, what would have November had looked like if I remembered you were with me? And what would have October, how would have been different? How would this election have looked different if each day I was reminded that you were with me? Because I don't know about you, but over the last few months, I think I've grabbed a lot of things. A lot of things that give me the confidence and the strength that God is with me. Or a lot of things to solve the problems. And I think just like Ahaz, God's saying, I'm here. Jason, I'm with you. But would you just acknowledge that you need me? You know, often that's what a parent wants, right? Our kids just say, I need you, Dad. Shoot, you're right. I should have seen that. My wife needs to sometimes tell me I need you. Church, that's the, the beauty of the Christian gospel. We just have to admit, I need you. Father, in this year, I need you. In the new year, I need you. In my marriage, I need you. I need you. And the answer of Christmas is, I am with you. I understand your pain. And though you think I'm distant and though I am glorious and majestic, I am near to the brokenhearted. I'm near to those who are wounded in spirit. I'm near to the cast out, to the broken down. I'm near to those who think I am far, but you have to admit I need you. Church, what do we think we need? And have the things that we've run to in this season, have they, have they met that need? Because see, the reality is if 10% of people, the Gallup poll said their mental health has crashed, right? Or it's gotten worse over the last year. That's not just true of us. It's true of our neighbors. It's true of the people around us, but what are they going to turn to? Hit the news again? A little more Twitter, Facebook? Where is the hope? Is the hope just in another president, a new election? 
No, God says the hope is not just in Jesus. The hope is in us. We're the body of Christ. And there are people walking in hopelessness. And they're wondering, does anybody care? And I think sometimes instead of looking at the face of people around us and seeing their pain, we just ignore them. We distance ourselves. Well, they probably don't believe what I believe, and they're not like me, so I'm not going to be near them. See, the miracle of Christmas is that God is with us, but see, God is working through us. And the beauty of Christmas is he not, he doesn't want to just end with silent night, quiet night with us, but rather to bring that peace and hope to the rest of the world. But if we're not willing to be with God and admit that we need him, then we're not, we don't have the humility to allow God to work through us, for we are his hands and feet. If people are going to hear God's voice, they've got to hear it through you. If they're going to experience God's touch, they've got to experience your touch. You want people to know God's generosity? Are you being generous? You want people to know God's love? Are we willing to love? Because see, it's not enough for us simply to know that God is with us. We have to know him to such a degree that we want others to be with God. You know, I was thinking this week about that, that song, um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That's a creepy song. That is one creepy song right there. Have you looked at the words of that song and really started to think about the words and what they mean? If you haven't, better watch out. You know, singing this to our, our four-year-old, our five-year-old. You better not cry. What child doesn't cry? And yet the song is saying you can't cry because somebody's watching. And you can't pout, can't be sad, can't express emotions. You can't be who you are. Why? Because this guy's coming to town. And he's got a list. He's checking it twice. You guys know. He's going to find out. Daddy knows. Mama knows. He's going to know who's naughty. Yeah, and who's nice because he's coming. And he sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. And he knows when you've been bad or good. So you better be good for goodness sake. Now, if you realize goodness sake really means for God's sake. But the story of this song and the story of the gospel is so different. See, this is the best men come up with. <laughs> he's watching. He's got a list. <laughs> he's checking. He's going to know if you're bad or good. So you better get it together. Or he's not coming, or if he does, you're going to get coal. What's the story of the gospel? Does he have a list? He's got a list. He knows. <laughs> yeah, he sees, but he cares. And it's not dependent on whether I'm naughty or nice because his grace is available to all. And that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was far from God, while I cursed him, he made his gift available. His gift is not, good, is, is not just available to the good, it's available to the broken. And see, that's the beauty of the gospel. We're not accepted because we've gotten it right. We're accepted by faith in the one who is right. And listen, when you trust in the one who's right, he makes you right. He makes you right, not because you've got your life together, but you admit you're not. 
And as soon as you admit you're not and he comes near, he starts to change the stuff in us. He starts to meet the needs that were never met in the past. He starts to meet the needs that we, those feelings that we got, we want that person close to us. He starts to become that for us. And he starts to heal the heart. He starts to heal the mind, but it starts by simply saying, Father, forgive me. Accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I recognize you've died on the cross for me, and Jesus, through your resurrection, I now have life with God. What does that mean? God, I need you, and I need you to be with me. And see, as we pray that and as we live that, we bring that same hope and joy to others. That's the story of Christmas, and it's good news, especially in a year like this. And we pray for us. Father, I thank you that, <clears throat> Father, you see past what man sees. Man sees what we want man to see. Father, you see the heart. You know our fears. You know our insecurities. You know how we wear strength and pride. And yet you know we are broken and feeble inside. That, Father, so often we're, we're hiding, we're pretending, we're performing. I thank you for the, the beauty of simply admitting before you, Lord, we need to be humble in your sight, that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. We can't pretend. We can't perform before you. Father, you know our inner thoughts, and yet you still love us. And you long simply to be with us, to heal our brokenness, to meet the deepest needs of our minds, our emotions, our lives. But we need to invite you in. And certainly in this Christmas, Father, if we have kept you at a distance, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would simply repent. What just means to admit and to turn and say, Father, I need you. I need you in my marriage. Father, I need you in my thought life. I need you, Father, in and the things that I'm looking at in this world that cause me to be afraid or cause me to feel out of control. Father, I need you. And I need you, Father, to cover my sin so that I might know what it's like to feel covered by the love of God through Jesus Christ. Father, meet us here. And I pray for anyone that doesn't know you that they would say, Lord Jesus, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus. I receive the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, which is knowing God. Forgive me. I welcome you into my life. And then, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, you would bring to mind an individual that right now is, is walking in darkness or walking in loneliness. This world has been hard and difficult for them. Would you remind us right now of who they are? And would we be the answer of God with them? Would you show through us our generosity, our love, our sacrifice, would we even invite them into our celebration this year so that the brokenhearted would truly know, Father, that you care. Thank you for this celebration. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you're with us in Jesus' name.
Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit guide us into this celebration of Christmas this week, now and forevermore.